Welcome, welcome everybody to the Backdoor Cover with your host Keith Fleming and your co-host IBS Jesus. I'm sober. I'm actually sipping on some water today, so we're not going to get many sound bites from me, but um, I'm ready to go. How you feeling, Keith? I'm feeling good, man. You know, we had another uh, good week with our picks, so doing good and ready for an exciting Super Bowl. Yeah, Super Bowl. Shout out to my boy Jay Holla. I know you don't listen, but you really do. <laughs> Thank you so much for your hate. We enjoy you, man. You know what I'm saying? You've been the best part of this 2019-2020 season, seeing you come in every single week and just wait and wait and wait, and you're still waiting. To get that last word in One one out of every 100 Jay Hall is going to be right So let's hope it doesn't come in two weeks I don't, I'm not sure if it will then either But let's start by recapping uh, The conference title games And again this is the backdoor cover On the IB podcast feed The first game on Sunday Was the Titans at the Chiefs uh, we both took the Chiefs and the points. I know you actually forgot that you did that uh, <laughs> I did. During, during the week, but you were on to the Chiefs at that point. You said you understood either way, but you were leaning towards picking them. Uh, interestingly enough, that game started with the Titans having everything possible go according to game plan. Uh, my prop, one of the props I gave of Derrick Henry scoring a touchdown hit, uh, they eventually were up 17-7 to with six minutes left. It was at that point I was really nervous for Kansas City, and then they did exactly what they've done uh, in both games this postseason. It was like they just put their, their pedal to the metal. They scored twice uh, before halftime with Mahomes having one of the most beautiful touchdown runs that will be replayed for years to come. They go on to win 35-24. Uh, you also had a, a prop hit with uh, Tyreek Hill to score a touchdown. Uh, and, you know, my take from this game is this year was a lot about Lamar Jackson. And it should have been. He had an incredible season. But people forgot about Patrick Mahomes. It was like because he was injured, because the Chiefs weren't the, you know, the best team in the NFL all year, people kind of forgot that this dude is the best best player in the NFL, and when he plays, the Chiefs are really difficult to beat. You could argue this should be their second straight Super Bowl that they're going to, if not for D Ford, you know, jumping uh, offside, and it's just a deal where people forgot about Patrick Mahomes, and he is reminding everybody, I am still the best player in this league, and he is the main reason that if you ask me right now, I would probably lean towards taking the Chiefs in the Super Bowl and what I think is going to be a really interesting and competitive game. What is your take from uh, this Chiefs-Titans game? All right, so I got to do what I normally do every time somebody brings this up. I was so, 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 so heavy. And I know somewhere in the back, Ronnie's probably like, <laughs> but I will, I will go <laughs> ahead and tell the story. I was so, so heavy last year. On the Chiefs, I literally put my name on it. I remember I had my very first client uh, for uh, like gambling purposes, and I was like, "We're taking the Chiefs and we're taking the uh, Rams." And I was like, "Man, we're gonna do it in a parlay too." I was like, "I'm on it." And he was like, "You gonna bet bet against the Patriots?" I was like, "Listen, the Chiefs are the better team. They got home field." I was like, "Trust me, the Chiefs are gonna win." And to have D four jump off sides like that. And to have Gronkowski make what like one of his 
two catches. <laughs> yep. And I remember the dude told me, um, he was like, I should have never listened to you. I should have never bet on uh, against the Patriots. And, and my mind always goes back to that first half where the Chiefs literally didn't do anything that they had done all year. Yep. And I saw that on the first drive. On the very first drive, those three plays they ran were so trash. And I, I got the text message to prove it. I sent a message to Ronnie. I said, if Andy does this to me again, I'm literally <laughs> going to choke life out of him. I was like, he can't do this to me twice. Like, it was such a mismatch from the jump. And people need to really wake up and understand the NFL has changed, man. It, you can hold the ball for 50 minutes and still lose if you play a good enough offense, if they're efficient enough, if they're explosive enough. So it was never a question of uh, clock management for me with the, with the Chiefs and the Titans. It was never, oh, well, the Titans have had the ball for 16 out of the first 20 minutes. It didn't matter. They were only up three points, you know? And, and I've said this on the college podcast, and I, and I related it to the Chiefs, actually. When you play an offense like that, when they when you punt, you're essentially turning the ball over. You cannot punt. You cannot get field goals. You have to get seven points. So you can have the ball for 20 minutes, and if you only got 10 points to show for it, you're going to be down 14 to 10 or 21 to 10 because that's the type of team that they are. Um, and with that being said, the Titans never really stood a chance when they stopped scoring touchdowns, basically. Like, think about how the yeah, game went. It, it, that's just essentially what it came down to. You couldn't finish your drives. You're going to lose. You can't stop this team, man. You can't stop them. You're going to have to outscore them because they're going to get their points. And I think the Niners have the type of team to really challenge them on the defensive side in relation to Completely their offense. Agree. Um, I do fear that we're definitely not fast enough to stop them from going vertical, but we are um, explosive enough up front and technical enough in our secondary that I think that we can we can mask some of the openings that Patty's used to having. But, I mean, if he's going to be patting the ball and scrambling and, and kind of buying himself time, we're going to find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And um, I really liked how – Andy and the the Chiefs attacked the Titans, where whenever they played man, I don't know if you noticed, whenever they played man, Sammy and and, and T.Y., or not T.Y., Sammy and Tyreek were killing them, killing them, especially Tyreek. Tyreek was killing them. Um, Whenever they switched it to zone, Kelsey's killing them, and it's generally in the middle of the field, and they ran a wrinkle uh, towards the second half, I think it was the second half, um, after they got stopped on the first drive, but then they went to this clock management style, and they were kind of eating up the clock, but also finishing drives. There was a third down conversion uh, where they ran the same look with Kelsey coming in, sitting in front of the zone, and they ran somebody oh. behind him, and it, it was like a 14-yard gain. And those are the type of things play. that – Yeah, those are the type of things that they can do. The The – system that they have and and the continuity that they have on that team is just incredible on the offensive side. Defensively, I'm still not reading too much into their defense. I think the Titans were who we thought they were on offense. <clears throat> if you got it, if you can get them out of the um out of the uh Derrick Henry mode, um they're they're not much to it. I really think Jimmy G can do more than what he showed. He didn't have to, but when we've needed him, 
I can't overlook December. He was great in December, especially in the Saints game. We really needed him to step up in the Saints game, and he did. Um, he's he stepped up in a, a couple other games where we really needed him too uh, down the stretch. So I'm not too concerned uh, with with their defense in the sense that it's going to it's going to slow down our offense too much. But we're definitely going to have to keep up with their uh, offense. So if our defense can bend but don't break, I think we got a good chance. And and it needs to be said, we've talked about this on this podcast, Shanahan is incredible at scheming, running the right plays, getting people open, and that's why I think that he, he, he knew for that conference title game the concerns that, you know, I had when I said that I, I like both of the favorites to cover, but I was actually more nervous about the Packers, and it was because Jimmy G. I thought they were going to put too much on him, especially early, and I just thought it was a wonderful game plan by him where they're like, look, we're going to come out trying to run it. He did throw a few passes early, and we're going to make them stop the run. And until then, and obviously the Packers couldn't, I just I thought it was a great game plan. I think they're going to actually do the opposite against Kansas City because I think everybody's going to think they're going to be coming out trying to establish that run and, you know, control the clock, all that kind of stuff. And just look at the Super Bowl that the Falcons had against another really good defense, the Pats, when Shanahan was the, the play caller. We won't talk about the fourth quarter, but early in that game, he was scheming guys wide open. I think Ryan was averaging like almost 14 yards per completion. Uh, and it's going to be a really exciting game. Uh, you know, before we move on to the NFC game, I just want to say that I, I said it when the Ravens played the Titans. It was a really bad matchup for the Ravens. We both kind of said it this week. That Titans team is really good, but this was just a terrible matchup for them because they just – they were going to – it's like what you're saying. They were going to have to score a lot of points. That's not what they're made to do. And the one thing I will say, and I'll ask you this, did Vrabel abandon the run too quick? Because I know that they were down, I believe it was 11, but there was 15 basic. I mean, there was 10 seconds into the fourth quarter, and on that next drive, they came out and I think ran it one time in the five plays before they had to punt. And to me, kind of like what the Ravens did against the Titans, they, they just they kind of panicked. And it looked like they went away from what made them who they were and tried to play catch-up when there really was time to continue running the ball and do what they had been doing. They did it earlier in the year in their first matchup where they were down, I believe, 13 going into the fourth quarter, and Henry had like almost 100 yards in the fourth quarter alone. Did they abandon the run too early, you think? I don't think so. <clears throat> I I said in the live thread that um, the game was manageable if they could get it to under or to 10 or under in the fourth quarter, and I think they were down like 14. 14, 17, or something like that. It was 11, so, it was 11 basically. It was 11? Before the, the last touchdown was like eight so, minutes. All right, so that then that, that's essentially two scores if you get the two-point conversion. or If not, you're looking at maybe three scores. So, yeah, I don't think they abandoned it too early. Um, I guess I guess where the Titans lost the game, honestly, is um, – when they got really predictable with their uh, passing game. Um, I really right. don't think there was much creativity in their passing game um, in regards to how they attacked the defense. And, then and they didn't they play allowed... action pass. Well, well they, they tried to life. they tried to early, and then they kind of got away from it. But a lot of that was because um, 
Kansas City started getting more aggressive, and then they just couldn't get much separation uh, with the secondary of Kansas City. And when they did, Tannehill couldn't make the throw, so it was almost like they were challenging them. Like, you know, there was a lot of man-to-man coverage um, in that secondary, and then kind of having Honey Badger playing like a roaming uh, role as maybe a robber sometimes deep or sometimes coming underneath. But he had free reign, and that, to me, is the key to that Kansas City defense. He is so energetic. And when he's roaming and and really free to do what he wants to do, they're very dangerous. I've seen this uh, with them. They played um, the Houston Texans. He had a really good game where he was just free to just go wherever he wanted to go, do whatever he wanted to do, and and the defense was rolling. If you can keep him from being so active, keep him honest, and and keep him guessing as to whether you're passing, whether you're running, and things like that, if you become less predictable, then I think you have a good chance of of really attacking that defense. Um, So I don't think the Titans really – I honestly don't know if they could have done anything better. I just – Personnel-wise, um, I really don't see how they could have done anything better. Their their best chance was to force turnovers with Patty Mahomes, and they couldn't do that. Yep, and they just, again, a bad matchup. So on the NFC side, as uh, the uh, slightly inebriated uh, Ivy Yeezus said last week, you weren't worried about the Packers, and, boy, the Niners showed exactly why you should not be worried as they just ran it down their throat. It didn't matter that Tevin Coleman was injured early. Uh, Mozart just, or Mozart, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, which I didn't know this. He is 27 years old on his sixth team in the NFL. He had had 300 yards for his career before this season, and he almost broke the single postseason record with over 200 yards rushing. He had four touchdowns. The Niners' defense just dominated. They really got to Aaron Rodgers a lot. And my take from this game is SA won 37-20. Real quickly, we both took the Niners. We were happy to give the points. Uh, We didn't hit any of our props in that game, but we were close. I mean, Coleman got hurt, or I think he would have scored. I said Adams to score a touchdown, potentially two. He didn't score a touchdown, but he had a ton of yards. It happened almost exactly like I said. They were down. But my take from this game, there's two of them. One is the Niners might be the best team top to bottom roster-wise I've seen in quite a few years. The reason the matchup in the Super Bowl is not a slam dunk for them is because Patrick Mahomes is on the other team, and the Chiefs are a really good roster. But, I mean, the Niners just have so many really good players on their team. And then the other is that I think it's time to talk about Aaron Rodgers is getting a pass. And I'm not saying that Rodgers is not a great quarterback. He has been, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league for, you know, a decade. He had the Super Bowl. But, you know, I started thinking about it. He has now been in four conference title games. He's one and three. The one he won was against the Chicago Bears. Jake Cutler was knocked out of that game. I can't even remember the quarterback's name who played a majority of that game. And the last two conference title games, I was at the Atlanta game being a big Falcons game. We absolutely thumped them uh, in Atlanta. It was over before it got started. Same thing in this game in San Francisco. And I thought it was kind of a cop-out to hear Aaron going well we just got to get one of these games at home. It's such a big difference. You're Aaron Rodgers, man. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like, the Falcons game was in a dome. 
this was a game against a team that had very little experience in the playoffs. I think I saw that eight of the 49ers have actually played in a Super Bowl, uh, and they just got housed. So what what do you think about that, Aaron Rodgers, kind of getting a pass with his, with his, the failures he's had recently in the playoffs? Um, I mean, kind of, sort of. Um, we, we do tend to give Aaron a pass on a lot of things like his attitude and and the fact that he doesn't really play um, – he doesn't really play that – he doesn't play like a traditional pocket-passing quarterback or a traditional – I'll just say it – salting quarterback. He's, he's, he plays like a, a black quarterback. I think we've, joking, we've jokingly said that on the NFL podcast for probably two years now uh, between me, Corey, and, uh, <clears throat> and Ronnie – about how Aaron doesn't play on schedule. He does all the things that, honestly, if he was black, they would have said he probably should move to receiver, and that's not a knock on Lamar. But it's just he's got a very strong arm. He's very accurate. And um, and and those things always are going to be positives and viewed very positively uh, in, in the NFL. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot as well. But ultimately, he's not as big of a winner as people think, you know, and and Ronnie's been on this campaign for years. I give him credit for, he's been on it for years about like his lack of fourth quarter comebacks and things like that. But people don't really want to hear it because he's had an MVP. He's had, um, he's had uh, the Super Bowl, you know, but ultimately, yeah, we, we give him a pass. I think um, history gives him a pass. I'm going to give him a pass on this game too, because like I said, when I was half drunk, they couldn't beat us, man. We we match up so well against the Packers. It didn't matter who Aaron Rodgers had. Aaron Rodgers could bring back uh, what's the dude, Mark Schmore and 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 uh, Dorsey Levins and and Donald Driver and 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 all he those guys. Some he bring them all back. Was what he bring, bring them all back. Bring them all back, man. Bring back Mike Holmgren. Bring the whole team. Bring Brett Star <laughs> back. Man. Bring them all back, man. We still would have beat them because they just don't match up well against us and. Um, I'm not going to be too critical of the game. Like I said, I didn't expect us. I think I said something along the lines that if it was even remotely close, I would be disappointed. Um, and it right. wasn't. So um, with that being said, yeah, as, as, like I said, general public, I think people do give him a pass. Um, as far as the Niners being the most complete team, I think we've shown that in, in certain aspects. I don't know if we've shown it in a full game yet. Where we've where we've do, we've either dominated by running the ball or dominated by passing the ball, and it's definitely been kind of rare in the last month or so where we've dominated both offense and defense. I would say probably the last time we did that was when we played the Packers, uh, when they came to us. Um, I think it was yeah. a Monday night game, um, but we we dominated that game. But we had we had a battle against the um, we had the battle against the Cardinals. We had the battle against the, the Seahawks, um, and. And Saints. I said coming – yeah, Saints as well. And I said coming into the playoffs that as a one seed, for us to have to take that path to get through, back in November, I would have said um, that's terrible. It, it, you know, that's going to make it so difficult. But looking at how we're playing now in regards to how we play coming off the bye week and how we played against the Packers as well, like the fact that the team seems to be – very battle-tested and, and focused, I think helps that we had such a difficult second-half schedule. Um, and I hope we carry that into the uh, into the Super Bowl. Um, it's not going to be easy. Um, 
I think Andy is his own worst enemy. I hope that Kyle and um and the defense will figure that out and, and kinda make it play to to their advantage. Andy's also still the worst clock manager. So if you keep the game close He did enough, it again this stand, last week. Yeah, he did. He did it again this past week. But he, I think if you keep it close enough you stand a chance of getting lucky and him giving the game away, honestly. Um it's gonna be hard to stop that offense. Um, they do a lot of things. Um, it's going to take a team effort on the defensive end. And by all means, you can't give them yak, man. Th- those guys yep. destroy you with yards after the catch. And the Niners have been very good at, at open field tackling and, and being really aggressive and, and attacking uh, people coming downhill and so forth. I think we had um, one of the first pass plays that Aaron Rodgers threw to his back. back got destroyed by the linebacker. And he actually had Jimmy Graham open across the middle, but he didn't throw it to Graham because he was under pressure. And those are the type of things, like, working as a team. Like, the pressure dictated that he has to get the ball out, has to check down. Those are the type of things that you need when you play an offense like uh, Patty Mahomes in them. You, you've got to make him check down to somebody that isn't necessarily the big play. And then you have to make the tackle um, when it's all said and done. Um and also, they also have switch, to get a rush right without, yeah. you know, giving up the lane where you can't allow what Tennessee did where on most of the plays that they actually got pressure, you know, they didn't do a good job of containing, you know, the entire field. And Mahomes proved he could run right or left. And, and that's something the Niners have got to do is not just get to the quarterback but actually make sure that they don't leave themselves vulnerable when they do get back there for Mahomes just to basically – check it down and take off for, you know, six, seven yards whenever he needs it. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, I'm not too concerned with, with Patty getting away from us with, with Bosa and, and D Ford and Buckner and them bringing up pressure up the middle too. I'm not I'm not too concerned with him using his legs too much. Um, but if he does, if he does, or if he is able to do those, do those things where he can extend the play another – Two seconds or so, then we, we will definitely be in trouble. Like you, you cannot, you cannot give these guys extra time, man. Or like that meme said, he's just gonna be like, "Fuck it, Tyreek down here somewhere." <laughs> and he exactly. usually is. Or Kelsey he usually is in the middle. Or Williams yeah. in the um, But I, I will say, um, I wanted to say too that I am sick and tired of hearing about Kyle Shanahan and that Super Bowl because. I you are. go back, dude. <laughs> I go back and I look at that, and, and I, I made a lot of money off of off of a, a stubborn bet taking the uh, Patriots when they were down by that much. Um, but I go back and I look at that sequence on that last drive before uh, when they got knocked out of field goal range, and I still say that a quarterback of Matt, Matt Ryan's caliber. I don't care if the coach called the pass play. Quarterback of his caliber should have been able to see that blitz coming right up the middle. Like the pressure came up the middle, and then pressure well, came and from Devontae his backside. Well, Devontae whiffed, too, in his defense. Like yeah, Devontae Freeman but, absolutely whiffed on that. But you have to know in that situation, and this has always been a complaint of mine about Matt Ryan, and, again, I'm not trying to get too far off topic, but I just got to say this. You have to know as a as a 10-plus-year veteran, you cannot – you cannot take a sack in that situation. You just can't do it. And with pressure coming like that, 
And even with Devontae Freeman in front of you, you shouldn't even anticipate that he's going to make the block. You should have been rolling to your right and looking to get rid of the ball or looking to throw the ball to somebody that was a check down in that, in that, in that position. From the time that ball was snapped, he didn't have a read left, like middle to left. So why is he still standing yep. there? Why is he going straight back? He should have been running to his right. He should have been outside the tackle box. He should have been getting rid of the ball, and it would have been a non-issue. Would have been a non-issue. And then after that, it was like a holding or something like that, anyway. So yes, like the Falcons yep. kind of, yeah, the Falcons kind of blew it themselves in a, in a sense. But in that situation, it's the same as when uh, he called the the trap on the third and eight. Like that's. Yep. Unconventional. You, you know, you wouldn't expect it to work, but guess what? The execution on that play was done properly, so it led to a big game, which resulted in a touchdown. But I'm just saying it, it worked because it was executed. It don't matter that he called a pass play. Execute the play. Like, ex- like the, the pressure's coming right up the middle. Like, it's right in front of you. Like, I don't have to be a professional quarterback. No, I got to get the hell out the way. Like, those are minimal expectations for a 10-plus-year veteran. So I feel like people keep ragging Kyle for it, and I'm like, dude, he trusted his, his veteran MVP season quarterback, and he let him, and it let him down. So, um, And it needs to be he, reminded, he was not the head coach. And, I mean, at the yeah, end of the day, true. to me, he was an offensive coordinator. An offensive coordinator's job is to score points. And to me, I blame the head coach there. I'm a Falcons fan. If, you know, for the people that say they should have ran, 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 that's on Dan Quinn. That's on Dan Quinn to go to, you know, Shanahan and say, I'm the boss. I want you running the ball in this situation. And he obviously didn't say that. So, uh, you know, I think it was a learning experience for Shanahan, which is going to help him. It's a horrible memory for a huge lifetime Falcons fan. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you that that's going to be a narrative that's going to get just beat to death over the next two weeks, and and to a certain extent, Andy Reid and his failures as well. But I think we can both agree it's going to be a very exciting matchup. It's it's the most probably interesting matchup since the first Pat Seahawks in a Super Bowl that I can remember in a while where you have two teams that are very talented. Uh, it's interesting that they're both very good teams that don't have any recent Super Bowl uh, I know, I guess, the Kaepernick Super Bowl now is seven years ago. And uh, we're going to spend basically almost the entire podcast next week going over the game, who we like. We're going to go through a ton of props. Uh, but before we move on to some of the NBA games tomorrow night, is there anything else you want to say on the uh, conference title games? Um, no, it, it should be an interesting matchup. I know a lot of times people expect the Super Bowl to be, like, the greatest game ever, and a lot of times we kind of get bored for the first half because people are filling each other out. Um, You got two creative offensive minds. Um, It should be be very interesting, but you have to give it time. You have to wait till the adjustments come. And I think this game will be decided – I really think it will be decided in the third quarter, Um, I think. Kyle's adjustments this season has been great. So is our defensive coordinator. Andy and the, and the Chiefs are one of the best second-half teams in the league. Um, and the fact that we saw them switch styles on the Titans like they did interesting. and control the yep. clock and, and still win the game, like, that's scary. That's really scary. And it was a very methodical attack. Um, 
And I will say that it put the Titans on their heels. I don't know if he can necessarily do that with us um, because we, we do have a really good run defense um, as well as a, a pass rush. But you have to be scared if you if you get this team with, with Kansas City, if you allow them to get in third and shorts. The same can be said with the Niners with the way they run the ball. You have to be scared if you, if you allow them to get in third and shorts with the creativity of both all, um, coaches. It could set up for um, a very good game between the uh, X's and O's. And one thing real quick before we move on, and I'm not saying this, but it's something I've been thinking about since the matchup's been set. This game, in my opinion, has a lot of parallels to the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl, what was it, five, six years ago, where on the AFC you have the favorite who is this unbelievable offense, a quarterback playing it. And, again, it's not fair to compare Mahomes to Manning, but you need to remember the season that Manning had that year. And then on the other side, you have this team that has a quarterback that's unproven. Uh, He's young, you know, talented. But then around him you have this really talented defense, a lot of speed and physicality. And I don't think it's going to play out that way, but I do see – a lot of similarities kind of in that matchup that most people I've heard at first glance are saying they like the Chiefs. And if you're asking me much like in that Super Bowl, at my first glance, I actually like the 49ers because, again, I just think they have a better top-to-bottom roster than the Chiefs. Yeah, um, I'm going to I'm gonna take the Niners. I, I will publicly say – I've got twelve to one on the Niners in the future winning the Super Bowl, and then I hedged sort of, kind of. Um, back in November, I don't know if you saw the post, but I said, "Hey, the Chiefs are at four to one, getting good odds to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to take them as my AFC pick." And here I am with basically, I'm going to win something at the end of the game. Um, right. As as a fan, as a gambler, um, I'm probably going to just side with taking the points with the Niners and and um and just one because I still believe the defense wins championships in the Super Bowl for sure um and I think we have the better defense we have the better pass rush and uh, and I still don't quite trust Andy Reid <laughs> and I hate to say it right now because I, I kind of trusted him all the way up to here but but the dude scares me man he scares me I wouldn't have a problem with with him winning a Super Bowl, though I really think he's a great guy. Um, he's good for the game. He's put he's put in enough work. He's had enough chances. It would be great to see him win one, but unfortunately, it just has to come <laughs> when he's playing my team. And, and yeah, and, and it does my, feel like it's Andy Reid's year. Like yeah, the way everything. It's my third you know, time for him. As I say, it's my third time seeing my team in the Super Bowl, and and um, I remember when we beat the Chargers, but I. I I need this one just because I got to, I got to have it because Holla deserves to be trolled. And, and this will be the, the cherry <laughs> on the top. <laughs> all the crap he's been not talking he, all year. Not that he's listening to this, but so we're going to move on to some NBA games this week. And this is what we'll probably do most weeks because we want to make sure there's lines. Uh, I just went with four NBA games. There's actually a a pretty good slate of games uh, tomorrow night. Uh, So we're going to start with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, They are giving uh, 10 points to the New York Knicks in New York. The Lakers are coming in having lost two or three. They looked awful 
against Boston last night, but that happens in the regular season. I saw some uh, talk on the page, and it's a fair point that one of the problems with the NBA right now is it's it's almost like they're playing at half speed or intensity uh, until you get near the playoffs except for certain matchups, and this could be a case of what happened to Los Angeles and Boston, but they do get to play a hapless Knicks team. They're 12-32 and 32 on the year, 6-15 and 15 at home. The Knicks are really bad on offense. The Lakers, despite their last couple of games not playing well on defense, are one of the best defensive teams in the league. They're very long uh, and good defensively. And I'm going to take the Lakers and give the points. I mean, it's the Knicks. They're coming off an embarrassing loss. Who do you have in this game? I mean, it's it's Madison Square Garden, man. If there's one thing you can depend on, people show up. Uh, players show up too when they when they play at some of these venues, and and Madison Square means a whole lot to to dudes like LeBron and AD, um, and and the celebrity and and pageantry that comes with playing at Madison Square Garden. So uh, I'm gonna roll with the Lakers too, and what should be a blowout. I agree. So nothing else to be said there. So the second game, and this is going to be a good one, the Philadelphia 76ers are going to Toronto. I've seen this line from five to six points. It's actually been fluctuating a good bit. The Raptors are favored. Uh, They are going for their fifth straight win. They've been playing really well since the uh, return of Pascal and Gasol. They're averaging almost 130 points per game in this recent win streak. But then on the other side, you got the 76ers who are without Embiid on their own four-game win streak led by Ben Simmons. It's amazing that, and this has been talked about to death, but you have two of the most talented players in the league of Simmons and Embiid on the same roster. But I just can't ever remember two guys that talented being on a team this young in their career and it be a worse mix of their talents. I think both of them would do better with better, you know, different supporting casts around them and by themselves and together. Cause the Sixers have actually also won four in a row uh, without Embiid and Simmons is playing at an outstanding level. The Sixers are not a great road team. The Raptors are a great home team, the defending champs. The home team has won both of the first two matchups in this series. Uh, I'm going to take the Raptors to win. But I'm actually going to, if you can get it for six points, take the Sixers to cover. I think that they're playing just really well right now without Embiid, with Simmons basically kind of playing a point five. And if I'm getting six points even on the road with the way they've been playing recently, I'm going to take it. I will say that if that is more five or uh, I guess if it's five and a half, it's okay too. But if it was five points or lower, I would then go with Toronto. But I'm going to actually take the Sixers to cover and lose a close game in Toronto. Who do you got in this game? Um, before we start, let me just briefly break and say I just got an alert that Luca tried to block Kawhi Leonard. So y'all need to talk to that man and let him know. <laughs> Some of this stuff going to his head, yo. He got to stay in his lane, man. He don't belong down there. But um, <laughs> I. I got to side with the Raptors here. Um, one, when you lose a guy like Embiid, um, he's getting you like 25 to 28 a night. It's going to hurt you when you play against a, a good team like the Raptors, especially on the road. A lot of times in the NBA, 
when these teams go on the road and they're they're missing a superstar, they can only sustain it for a certain amount of games, and then it kind of fizzles. Um, I think that's what's right. been going on with the 76ers. They, they've, they're due for a fizzle, in, in my opinion. And with Pascal back and the way they play and the lack of um, three ball that the uh, 76ers uh, pose as a team um, threat-wise, I think six is, is good enough. Um, that the the Raptors can cover it, and and if they do cover it, it's not to say that the 76ers aren't that good, or, or it's just kind of a timing thing. And then two, the Raptors right. are really good at home. Um, they're they're generally good at home, and and without a big to to kind of defend the paint. I mean, Al Horford's not a paint defender, even though people think he is. Sometimes he's not. He's not. Stopping he's a good Pascal. defender. He's not a good. Yeah, he's not. Defender, he's right? not a rim protector though. And and I think. Right. I think if you're going to beat the Raptors, like especially this version of the Raptors for sure, you need a rim protector and, and they there's without a rim protector right now. And so it just doesn't match up well to me. Um I know Simmons can can get in and, and get what he wants uh from time to time. But the Raptors have the length, I think, to really challenge him when he does, you know, kinda get to the paint and things like that. Uh Tobias Harris could be a difference maker but um, I would have to look to see if he plays well on the road. I haven't really checked him out too much this year. Um, so I'm going to decide what I think should be like a 8 to 10-point win uh, by the Raptors. Before we move on to the next game, because I've never talked to you about this in podcasts or just in conversations, A, do you think the Sixers should break up this duo? Because they would get, obviously, a large haul for either one of them. And if so, which one would you keep? I, I am actually think that they should. To me, it would be Embiid that you would get rid of, not because I think that Simmons is that much better. I think they're actually almost equally as valuable right now. But I just I worry about Embiid because of the history of big man with injuries and stuff. And you're going to get a max you know, trade back for him right now to where, say, he has another either injury where he misses half a season or if it's more serious or something a year or two down the line? Nah, I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't trade either one. I mean, I, I think in today's game, for sure, you're looking for two um, all-star potential players slash uh, a superstar slash all-star combo because Embiid is a superstar or on the verge of superstardom. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I think Simmons is good enough that we can call him an all-star um, or at least all-star caliber this year for sure. Even though he's got limitations, like with his ability and his size to play different positions and still handle the rock, like you, you can't really get rid of those two. I think you build around them and, and give them better perimeter shooters, man. I mean, because they're both two decent um, interior players or people who are going to attack the basket. Uh, Tobias Harris is a good compliment to them, but I would still like them to to find a a two way player. Like Not a, a for what really they're paying solid, him though, right? Yeah, like I would like to see them bring in a a really solid two way player, and then obviously add depth to their bench. I mean, if you look at the way the team's built right now with Al Horford, um, he gives them um, an option to to open up the paint as well with him um, with Embiid there. Um, he's a great passer and he's smart with the ball. He gets rebounds. Uh, he's a good complement to those two and um, really helps take some of the pressure off of Simmons having the ball in his hands so much. So right. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't quit on that formula just yet. 
I would just like to see them add some more bench depth. Um, sh- they should be a team that's trying to get a, a Derrick Rose to their squad. Um, but then also yeah. also add, like I said, a, a, what you would think would be a traditional three and D type player. I think I think that's really what a lot of teams are missing um, to take that next step into separating themselves um, from the rest of the pack, especially in the East. Is like, where's your two way player? Like, and that's generally right. what's killing some people. Like they don't have a two-way play, and they don't really make them like that anymore either. So um, it might be becoming a, a lost art, you know, a, a true 3 and D guy. Um, but I wouldn't get rid of that. I wouldn't blow it up. Yeah, if anything, you can maybe get rid of uh, Coach Brown at this point. Because <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they might be tuning him out. But uh, I wouldn't get rid of, uh, of uh, those two players, no. Okay. So the next game, and I'm very excited about this because I am so high on this guy, and there's a lot of people I think that are going to eat their words. That, and I've even heard people saying bust, which it's like it's not going to happen. But Zion Williamson is going to play his first game. The Spurs are at the Pelicans. Uh, the Pelicans are favored by three and a half. It's all about Zion. This is his regular season debut. It's been, you know, pushed back further and further, which I think they're doing the right thing. There is no need to rush this. Uh, but the Pelicans are 12-9 and nine in their last 21, which has been really impressive considering they're probably missing at least their most talented player. They got off to a really terrible start, but they're getting back to where they're, you can actually see 500, and if they play well enough, maybe even a push for a 7 or 8 seed in the West. Uh, I just don't see any way – the Pelicans don't cover the three and a half. This game is in New Orleans. The place is going to be going freaking bananas the first time Zion just throws down one of his nasty dunks. And the Pelicans have been playing really well without him. The great thing about Zion, and it's one of the things I loved at his time at Duke, was he's a very unselfish player. There was many times I was wondering, like, why are they not giving the ball to Zion more? Why is the offense not going through him more? And he's just somebody that plays hard, is extremely talented, and I just think he is going to wreck the NBA if he stays healthy because he is, I mean, I don't know if you want to call him a modern-day Barkley, whatever, but, I mean, he is a literally a rock uh, that's going to be thrown in. And even though he's a little undersized from a height standpoint, I just don't see too many guys wanting to bang with this dude or getting away as he's going to the lane. So I'm going to take the Pelicans and Zion's debut uh, at home against the Spurs and give the points. Who do you like in this game? Um, I, I like I like to think that Zion's going to be on a minute restriction if he if he does come in. Um, I'm optimistic about Zion. It, it should give them a boost uh, in the way the Spurs have been up and down. It's hard to trust them right now, honestly. Um, They've they've had some games over the last like week or so, or even uh, Coach Pop has been. I mean, he's usually vocal anyway, but Coach Pop has basically said, "I don't know why anybody pays to watch us," you know. Um, so you you don't really know what you're gonna get with them being hot and cold. But with the Pelicans and, and Zion coming back, you would expect a lot of energy from them. And I think Drew Holiday has been really balling lately. It makes me really excited. Um, I've always liked Drew Holiday. I think he's a great guy. Uh, Brandon Ingram is. is Wow. Balling as what well. a, what a, um, he, I, I, 
I'm with uh, I think Corey and Ronnie kind of had a conversation about this in the group, and and I didn't really interject, but Corey and I have talked about it on the side anyway. I've played a lot of Brandon Ingram props this year for uh, points per game, so I've I've been very um, in tune with with that particular aspect of his game, and I don't see it suffering too much um, as far as his offensive output. Now his usage might go down a little. Um, because Zion's going to get the ball, but I really think his efficiency is going to go um, up just as much as him, right? goes From down. Yeah. So I would assume I would assume you would get maybe four to five less touches, depending, and then probably three to four more points because he's going to get better looks. Um, and I do worry that Zion is he's a little short. Um, for um, his position, but as I pointed out when he was drafted, and I've said many times, Draymond Green's the same height, you know, and Draymond exactly. can get yep. he can get points uh, when when the ball is distributed efficiently, and and he can and you know he he's not as athletic as Zion, and and he still can find a way to average about well not this year, but when he's got his full squad with him, he finds a way to average between 10 to 13 a night. So I really don't feel like that's going to really bother Zion. I think Zion's jump shot is a little bit better too. I I think he'll have a better mid-range game than people anticipate. Um, And then obviously when he lowers his shoulder and he goes to the basket, God help you all if you're trying to get in his way or trying to jump with him. So um, I think he'll be fine. I, I like his energy. I've always liked his energy. I've never felt like he's ever loafed or anything like that, which you typically see sometimes from these stockier players. Um, he's still got the fountain of youth on his side. The man ain't even 20 yet, I don't think. So mm-hmm. um, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Like I said, I, I'm going to take the Pelicans. I'm going to back them here um, just to come out with a ton of energy because they, they got their full team. This is their first night with their full team, and there's a lot of excitement around this team. And, and – They've already got enough talent um, to compete with the Spurs even without Zion. So adding him, I think, is going to be a big boost. It's going to be very exciting and definitely must-see game. So the final NBA game we're going to talk about before we get on to the PGA Tour event this week is the Denver Nuggets are going into Houston. Houston, which just kind of surprised me, is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I know they're at home. I know the Nuggets are missing Millsap and Jamal Murray. Uh, they've cooled slightly since their very hot start this year. I think they were like 13-3 and three after their first 16, but they're still tied for second in the West. It's crowded at the top, just below the Lakers. The Rockets are coming in just really struggling. They've lost four in a row, five out of six. James Harden is going through the worst stretch I can remember for him, especially from a shooting standpoint. He was one of 17 on Monday from three-point line. I mean, at what point when you're like one for ten do you go, maybe I shouldn't jack up seven more threes, but I guess shoot or shoot. Uh, Denver is ten and three against the spread in their last 13. And until Harding gets it going, and this Rockets does, if I'm getting six and a half points, and I actually think their team is a better team right now at this point, I'm going to take them even if they are on the road, who do you like in this game? Um, it's it's hard to pick the uh, the Nuggets, man, um, because of their lack of depth right now. They got a lot of injuries. I don't know if you've seen their injury report. Um, I actually just took the Nuggets the other night. I'm five and seven, by the way, on my NBA spread picks, 
At some point, I probably should stop and just do over-unders, but I'm committed to doing the spread <laughs> for the whole year. Um, I was going to pick the Clippers tonight, but I just didn't get around to it because uh, I was working out. But um, that would have been nice to get closer to 500. But um, I just took the Nuggets a couple nights ago um, when they were playing the Pacers. And um, I knew that they had a lot of injuries, but I just thought that they, they would – you know, get that home surge, and then Denver with the high altitude is a tough place for people to play anyway. Uh, but the Pacers ended up winning, and and um, they definitely um, gave me um, a moment of pause because um, they were they really were banged. I mean, they were playing guys. I was like, I didn't even know this cat was eligible to be in the league. Like, who is this? <laughs> I had to Google a lot of people. Like, who is this? Um, and with that being said, there is nobody. Nobody playing worse than the Rockets right now against the spread, dude. Man, how do you trust them? I would, I would honestly say that my advice would be to leave this game alone. <laughs> but if you had to pick, if you had to pick, I would, I would want to say that the Rockets are going to bounce back here. But God, how do you trust them, man? Like literally, how do you trust One for this seven team? Games. I mean, Harden is going to bounce back at some point. I'm not even too worried about the fact that he's one for 17. I'm just worried about the fact that the, the team, man, the team just – they just can't do anything, man. Like, it, they they haven't played a complete game all season, basically. Like, when's the last time the Rockies looked good? <laughs> it's been last bad, year. man. Yeah, it's been bad. And, and like I said in the um, group, um, they were up 20, and Maurice was like, I hate this team. And I'm like, why is he talking what are you talking about? They're up 20, and they ended up losing by, like, seven. I was like, what? How? To the to the Thunder, which I get it, the Thunder are better than people give them credit for. But, but dude, like, you're at home. Like, how? And then you know, Chris they don't Paul have no Oh, for sure. But but it just goes to show you, man, like you really can't just throw guys together and think you're going to win. And yep. it's not a shot at Harden and Westbrook. But a lot of these dudes don't know their roles, and you got two ball-dominant players in Harden and Westbrook. And, and it's kind of the same thing that I used to see with KD and, and Westbrook. They do this, this mm-hmm. um, what do I, I forgot what I used to call it, but basically they take turns. Like, one person yep. will dominate and bring the ball up the court and, and do what they got to do. And if they can't get a shot, then the second person gets the ball in, like, the worst situation ever. Usually <laughs> three outside seconds, of their, yeah. Yeah, outside of their shooting range with three seconds, so they got time to do, like, a little hesi- hesitation dribble and then pull up. And it's like, yo, that's trash, man. That's tra- And it doesn't help when Harden is one for 17 for sure, but – I mean, if we can't get P.J. Tucker, if we can't get Gordon and these guys to really contribute, then what do we have? Like, what are we doing? Right. Like, how are we contending, you know? Because if if at the rate that Harden is going right now, he's going to be used up by the time the playoffs get here. And we already know how he plays when the playoffs get here. I see them resting Westbrook, but, like, what's the point of resting him? If he plays, you're still losing. Like, I think they just got some soul searching to do, man. They They really have to figure it out. Uh, before the All-Star break. So, like I said, if, if I'm going to lean to the Rockets for the simple fact that the Nuggets are, are so banged up. But you're saying but if stay they away. Yeah, if, if my, my ultimate advice would be just not to touch this game at all. But if you had to make <laughs> a pick, if you had to make a pick, like your life depends on it. Well, no, I don't even want to say that because my life depended on it. I'd probably pick the Nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I got you. 
like I said, logically, or trying to put logic into it, I'm hoping that the Rockets would bounce back in this position. Nuggets are a little banged up and coming in um, on, on the road. Rockets really need a win, so I would expect people to to really show out and they cover this. All right, so we're going to move on and finish up with the PGA Tour. It's the Farmers Open out at Torrey Pines. Uh, real quickly before we get into this, the key stats to success at Torrey Pines, which uh, I love that on CBS Sports, uh, I forget the guy's name, but he does this each week. He goes through and looks at all the statistics that have led in the, you know, in recent history at the venues to success. This year, there's six categories he gave. Strokes gained, tee to green. Strokes gained, ball striking. Birdies are better gained. Good drives gained. Proximity to the hole from 150 to 175. And sand saves gained. Your past winners in 2019 was Justin Rose. 2018, Jason Day. 2017, John Rahm. 2016, Brent Snedeker. And 2015, Jason Day. But if we're being serious, this tournament is all about my man, the GOAT man. Tiger Woods is back this week. He is going for his record-breaking 83rd win on the PGA Tour. He would pass Sam Snead and be the all-time wins leader. He is going to a venue, and this is just ridiculous. If he wins, it will be his eighth win at this event. That is the most in the history of the PGA Tour at any event. And it would be the third event that he's won eight times. Tiger has not played since the President's Cup, where he played really well. We know he won at the Zozo uh, in October. He played well at his tournament in the Bahamas as well. And for those that you don't know, uh, Tiger has had just a little bit of success at this venue. In 1998, he finished tied third. That was his first career start. A year later, he won the event by shooting 62-65 on the weekend. He followed with finishes of tied second, fourth, and tied fifth. And then he won again in 2003. A year later, he finished uh, tied tenth. And then the next four years, he won the tournament every year. From 2005 to 2008, he won all four events, including in 2008, he won again at Torrey Pines when he won the U.S. Open on one leg. Uh, he actually did not play there for a three-year stretch. In 2011, he finished tied 44th, uh, and then he took some more time off. And then his recent stats, 2014-15, that was when he was really struggling. Same for 2017. And then his last two, before he really got going, he finished tied 23rd and tied 20th. Uh, this is a venue that I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I know you pick on me, and a lot of people I almost always pick Tiger to win. I actually do like him for the odds at 11-1, to 1, but he's not going to be my pick this week. I'm going to just go through some guys this week, give some stats, and you tell me who you like, don't like, etc. Rory is the uh, odds-on favorite in the field at 6-1. to 1. He leads the field in strokes gained ball striking and tee to green. He finished fifth in this event last year. He uh, won his last start on the European Tour. It's been a couple of months. Uh, one of my favorite values is Gary Woodland at 22 to one. This is the 15th ranked player in the world. The venue is very much like Pebble, which obviously he won last year in the U.S. Open. And Woods is in the top 20 on tour and birdies gained, good drives gained, and strokes gained, ball striking. Those are three of the six categories they said to pay attention to. We have Jason Day at 40 to one. 
it needs to be said he's coming off an injury. He's not been in good form before that. However, as you heard when I went over the past winners, two of his 12 career wins have came there. He finished tied fifth last year here when he was also kind of struggling and not in great form. Another one of the longer shots I really like for value is Mark Leishman at 50 to 1. Uh, he belongs on the list. He's 28th in the world. Uh, when you get 50 to 1 on the 28th player in the world, I think he's like the eighth or ninth highest ranked player in the field. That's really good. He's uh, in the top ten in the field for ball striking. He also had a good uh, tournament last year, finished eighth. Uh, Tony Finau is 25 to 1. This is not great odds for a guy that seems like he can't win. I mean, he just can't get it done. But Tony is eventually going to win. I know I say that almost every time we talk about Tony. Uh, and this is the exact kind of course that he can do that. His last five starts here, he's had a 13th, a 6th, a 4th, an 18th, and a 24th. He's in the top 20 in the field of four of the categories that I mentioned earlier. And uh, those include strokes gained, tee to green, birdies gained, or gained 150 to 175 yards, and the good drives gained. Uh, we got John Rahm at 9-1. to one. He's arguably the hottest player in the world. He is a past winner and is the all-time stroke game player at this venue, and they say that is probably the key statistic for this week. Uh, Hideki is also a really good value at 20 to 1. He's had back-to-back top 15s here, top 10s in eight of his last nine events. He's in the top 20 in birdies game and strokes game tee to green. He finished 12th in this event in 2018, tied third last year. Uh, Justin Rose is the defending champ at 16 to one. He also had a runner-up finish in Singapore. Scott Scheffler, who I gave last week, I think he was actually at lower odds. I believe he was 30 to one last week. He is 40 to one this week. He's top five in the last three of his last four events. Now this is his first chance playing Tory. That could be an issue, but this is another venue that sets up well for him. He is also in the top 20 in the fields in stroke gains, tee to green, and birdie grains. My three favorite sleepers, though, are right here. I love Emilio Grillo. He is a great value. He's in the top 20 in uh, strokes gained, tee to green, strokes gained, ball striking, and good drives gained, and he's 75 to 1. Uh, that is one I would circle. And there's two guys at 100 to 1 that are in four of those six categories that I mentioned. And that is Bud Cauley and Harris English, both at 100 to 1. Again, you kind of want to match up those things that lead to success. And then with basically the odds when you're looking for long shots like this, I like all three of those guys for top 10 and top 20 plays if you don't want to just take the chance of an outright winner. Which of those guys do you really like? Who do you like? What's your long shots? And if you got a winner, who do you think? Yeah, you you gave a lot of information. <laughs> um, let's see. I I kind of went top heavy uh, on my first glance. And again, anybody that knows when I when I usually do my golf picks, I usually cap on Wednesday night because then all the information is in. Um, but there's nothing wrong with taking guys early. As usual, I'm gonna fade Rory because me and Rory don't get along. Um, but I, I do like John Rahm. Um, I do like the idea of never dismissing Tiger Woods ever again, uh, especially on courses that he's familiar with. Um, I haven't liked Justin Rose's putter, 
uh, from what I've seen this year. And and honestly, um, we we had talked before this, and you talked about how like you know proximity to the green is is very important. He hasn't really shown that this year. Um, yep. So far, when I've seen him play, when he was on the uh, Asian tour, European tour, um, he's been kind of sporadic. Um, with that being said, typically Justin Rhodes is down for for uh, these big courses, um, and and he's a great ball striker, and and he's usually more precise. Um, but until I see that precision, I, I can't really pick him. Um, I love Xander. I play Xander every time, but Xander's got to start finishing. Man, it, it is very concerning. Um, Hideki, I'm going to stay Just away to warn from. you, too, this is a hometown event for Xander, and I don't know yeah. if that's been the issue, but this is actually one of the few venues that he has played, I believe, at least three times, and he does not have a top ten, which just shows you how good Xander is overall and might be even more reason to, to actually like him this week. Is I mean, if he's played, you know, no course three times and I had a top ten, Maybe this is the the week that he contends here. Yeah, I was gonna say he's he's been consistent. He's been consistent in in regards of challenging, um, but like outright winning is is oh, he yeah. just can't finish right now, you know. And, and hopefully it comes along. But uh, at this time last year, I think he'd already won like twice. So yeah. Um, I, I would I would look like I said I play him all the time. Um, I'm not afraid to play Xander on big courses. He he actually can uh, really put the ball out there. Um, and he he's not that big, but again he can he can really let the ball fly. Same with Ricky Fowler, not that big, but big courses don't really scare him either. Um, I I don't know if I would take him um, outright because in my mind in courses that don't generate high scores. He hasn't really been that good for me um, as far as picking. I love Gary Woodland. Um, and the reason why mm-hmm. I, I asked you if this was a Lynx like course, and you mentioned Pebble Beach, because when I looked at the uh, the PGA Tour um, outlook on it, it just it kind of spoke to me like a Pebble Beach. Like I just first glance, like, you know, I don't really know um, all that everybody else knows about golf. I'm, I'm primarily a gambler on it, but literally looking at the layout, the first thing that popped in my head was Pebble Beach and Gary Woodland, anything that deals with ball striking or, or what I consider to be close to a links like course or coastal courses. I love Gary Woodland. Um, and, and he's definitely not afraid of the big names on this list. Um, so I think you could trust him this week to, to at least try to challenge for it. Um, I would definitely look into taking him in the top 20. Um, and, and I, I just, I love it. Um, Tony Finau, like you said, he's, he's going to come along eventually. Um, but he still hasn't done enough for me to trust him, uh, per se. And then um, I like Mark Leishman. I actually like uh, Neiman a little bit. His his coastal numbers don't don't stand out. But um, the fact that I, I think he's another guy who's who's a good ball striker and not a, not afraid of big courses. If he could keep his nerves, I I really think that you could see him um, contend for a prop. Um, a prop he play. hasn't played on a lot of Poana greens too, which is kind of what yeah. you've seen. So you should mm-hmm. see if he gets more experience. I like what you're saying that he just needs yeah. to get more experience on this particular greens. Yeah, yeah, and um, at some point Jordan Spieth has got to come back. <laughs> I feel like he's got to come back. I mean, I I look at Spieth and I see him at fifty to one, and and it's kind of along the same lines that I treated Tiger when he was making his comeback, and and his eyes were right. so disrespectful. It's like yo, I have to play it in in the in the slight chance that he 
finally comes back around. Like the value is so good on that. Like you would never see a um and even with Jason Day at forty to one, like you would never see guys of this caliber um that high ever. I, I haven't seen Tiger Woods under I mean, I haven't seen Tiger Woods over thirty to one in like a year. You know? Yep. And, and he won't, and that's he won't just, until he falls off a cliff again. Yeah, yeah, and and that's basically what you're looking at with Jordan Speeth and Day. It's like at some point they're going to win one, so you kind of want to um, pick and choose your spots. Um, I think Speeth's generally, if well, one, you can always trust his putter, um, but generally speaking, I don't think he's that bad on coastal courses either. And then distance – isn't necessarily his thing, but when we're talking about precisions to greens and stuff, I mean, he's still one of the best at that too. Um, so he's a really good iron I mean, player. I would, I would have to look um, to see how wide the the fairways are and things like that because it scares me because that's been his his thing for some reason over the last year. Or so his driver's been awful, um, or his uh, shots off the tee have been kind of awful, but. It only takes one time to turn it around, man, and, and he gets in a groove. But that putter, like, you can never really count him out. Um, let's see. You mentioned Harris English. Um, mm-hmm. He just doesn't do it for me, man, as a long shot. I just I, I do like Bud Cawley. I do like the Bud Cawley uh, pick. Um, but Harris English, it's just something about him, man. It, it, he, he's good, but he's not great, you know. And I feel like in order to win this uh, tournament, when you got names like um, – like McElroy, Rom, Woods, Rose up there at the top. You gotta be you gotta have at least a hint of greatness in you. And I'm not sure if he's got that. Um and then a long shot for a prop? Pat Perez. Pat Perez. It's a good setup don't, for him. Yeah, I was gonna say don't don't get too quiet on me, man. Pat Perez is is, is low key solid on these coastal courses. Um and um uh, he's played some pretty good golf uh, so far this year, and um, when he's not on the like, you know, he wasn't that great on the Asian tour per se. But I, I, I like him in this spot. I actually took him in this spot earlier this year at a nine to one in the top twenty, and I hit. So I'm looking at his top twenty right now to see where he's at. Um, he's five to one. See, even they won't even give me that odds again. <laughs> he's he's five to one for a top twenty. But then when you look at his tournament odds, at uh, the tournament odds, he's um, one twenty-five to one. So what are English and Callie for a top twenty? Eighty, eighty to one. Oh, oh, um, top 20s. Let's see here. And these are coming from mybookie.ag, um, the sponsor for our group. Just join mybookie.ag, and you guys can get those uh, odds. Let's see. You said Callie, and who else? English. English. Scrolling through right now. Um, dang, they're going to be pretty high. Let me see. I'm telling you, I, I like both of those guys for a top 20 just because, again, they check off a lot of the boxes. Yeah, uh, and that's honestly. Yeah, if we're going to throw out some advice real quick, that's honestly what you're looking for when you're when you're doing the um the top twenties. So Harris English is uh plus three fifty and Collie is plus three thirty. So three to one basically. And and when you're doing those like somebody 
was was in the gambling group that I'm in right now. They were talking about um, you know golf picks and and you know listen to me because because he wins and I'm like well it's hard man it's really hard and I think I said that from day one like it's not easy to pick and you golf had one winners. Of the best years ever last year. Yeah, last year I was I was I was on point. This year I honestly think that I just might be in the red barely and I've I've still won too. I won Lano Lano Griffin and I won uh, Joaquin uh, Neiman. And then I also mm-hmm. hit a, a bunch of props along the way. But there was a month stretch where I came in second every single time. Remember, I was complaining about it every single time yep. I would have the second-place person. And, I mean, it, it's honestly, golf gambling is a lot like the game of golf. Like, some days you're on, man, you can't you can't miss. And then other days it's like, you know, that's just how it goes because this is the nature of the game. And um, I, I would tell people, you know, just like I always tell take it easy. Don't come in betting 100 per Per golfer, you're gonna be upset, but like you can, there's good enough odds you can make a decent amount of money. Um, but back to the Pat Perez thing real quick. I just want to point out this man is 125 to one, 125 oh, to one to win the tournament, but he's five to one to come in the top 20. So it, like a disparity like that kind of makes you wonder, man. Like, like maybe Vegas knows that he's got a good yeah. chance to top 20 right there. Yeah, something something's a little off by that. And like I said, I, I had Pat Perez at 90-1 to one, um, three, four months ago, or like when the season first started, he came in at 90-1 to one on a uh, on a desert course. And that same 90-1 to one was a 9-1 to one on um, the top 20 prop. So, again, this is a huge disparity right here. Like you're talking 125-1, to one, but 5-1 to one on the top 20. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna take my shot at the 5-1 to one just because it, it's – just something that just stands out to me. Like I said, I like Pat Perez in situations like this. He's an older golfer, but I mean, he's he's good, man, in the sense that he does enough to compete in some of these bigger um, and more difficult courses to finish top 20. So, uh, And the thing about Pat Perez is he's not going to normally either miss a cut or actually be in like that top 30 because he just, he's one of those guys that he usually either has it or he doesn't. And I like those kind of guys when doing top 20 bets because, I mean, yeah, obviously they can miss the cut and not play well. But usually if he just makes it to the weekend, that means he's playing well and he's going to put together some good rounds. He can get really hot and he still hits it a long way, which is something that's important on this golf course as well. Yeah. So um, I would take a quick look to make sure it's lefty friendly, of course. But for the most part, should be good. Um, I'll post, I'm, I'm posting those, uh, golf picks again for free, uh, back in the, uh, all-star group, hoping for some good karma to come my way. <laughs> but, um, if you want my NCAA picks and things like that, uh, you gotta, you gotta, uh, join the, the, the all-star, I would call them all-star. And elite, you should I guess, but support the brand. It's, yeah. It's, it's $150 for the month. Um, I mean, just give you an idea. Uh, we we had an awful Saturday, awful Saturday, probably one of the worst Saturdays I've ever had, and it barely made a dent in our weekly pot because we were on like a 15 to like six run or something like that. So um, after after the awful Saturday, we were still about two three games ahead, 500. So I couldn't complain. Uh, we had a, a decent start to our day today, and um, again. 
people who want to bet March Madness, this is the time to start collecting your data, seeing who's getting hot, who matches up well against who, who's playing good on the road, um, who's kind of surging a little, especially come tournament time. You can still make some money uh, during the conference tournaments as well. And then um, by the time the, the brackets come out, you have your data. You know who, who's who's got a chance to do what. Um, and it also helps your bracketology as well. So um, it's good to really start watching uh, college basketball and, and following the games right now. And I just want to mention that my pick for this week, uh, I, I do really like Tiger. I don't think he can win coming off this long of a layoff, but I do like him at a top five. But I like Hideki Matsuyama. I believe he was 22 to one. Uh, he's a guy that's due, or excuse me, he's 20 to one. He's got a lot of, uh, you know, success at that venue. And again, if you're talking about ball striking, which is a big deal, and birdies gained on the field, which is a big deal, he's arguably the best in the world at it. If he can just putt decently, he's going to have a great chance uh, to win this venue. And then I don't know if you've seen this because this happened while we were literally recording, but Kansas and Kansas State <laughs> got in a brawl tonight. Oh, and the guy man. picked up a chair, picked up a chair, which I haven't <laughs> seen in a long time. He went stone cold and, you know, the 90s attitude era. Uh, that's going to be replayed a lot over the next 24 hours. Hey, listen, man, listen. I don't know if you've seen the little little funny segment I was doing in the group and on my profile, but there are certain body languages that you see from from African Americans that you really need to be afraid. And looking at this still shot of this man grabbing this chair, like, listen, I've been in some brawls, man. When dudes grabbing chairs or dudes are kicking or or like you see somebody get bit, something like that, it's getting out of hand, man. It's getting out of right. hand. So. So seeing seeing that still shot of my man picking up the chair, you knew it, it probably had nothing to do with the actual fight itself. He just had enough. It just was not going. Yeah. It, today was not the day. So um, he's in effort mode. Listen, this dude, Souza, or however you say his name, Kansas took a hit for this guy, man. They took a hit. They fought the feds for this yeah. man, and he out here throwing. Man, he gotta go. He got to go. He got to go. But I didn't want to interrupt the podcast and talk about it, but I've been on the thread laughing about it because Corey and I have, have, have a, uh, a brief history of recapping all the, the the coonery that is Kansas basketball program or Kansas sports in general, man. Like people always throw around the word thugs. They've had some incidents, man. Let me tell you, they've had some incidents through the years. Like, this isn't even that bad, honestly, in comparison to, like, uh, Tlaib and the Morris twins. Like, this is actually light. <laughs> so, I'm... Did you I look see, they to see steal what the does. a Kansas cheerleader, one of the guy cheerleaders, literally holding back the police officer from breaking up this brawl? Oh, no. I gotta say, you know, the whole now. university is thugs, man. Oh, I gotta respect it a little bit, man. If it's gonna go down, especially if Kansas State started, I haven't looked at the video yet. But if Kansas State really started it, then by all means, I respect Kansas through and through. Like you're not gonna come on my home court and try to disrespect, man. And if you started it, we definitely gonna snuff it out. So I'm cool with that, man. Just just long as everybody <laughs> understands, it's gonna be consequences for sure. You can't do that on a nationally televised game. It just can't go down like that. Oh yeah. So, so I mean, it it looks 
it looks in the pictures, it looks very malice in the palace type. So I, like I said, I got to see the video first before I, I, I um, give my um, analysis, but I'll definitely be willing to talk about it next week for sure. I, I love it. And uh, just remember, I know there's no football this week, but we got Zion, you know, his debut Wednesday, Tigers back playing Thursday. There's some good games this weekend and we will definitely get all the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, I'm serious. I want us to go through as many prop bets as we can next week and just wall-to-wall that Super Bowl since it's the last football game of the year. And you can literally bet on just about anything in that game. It's glorious for people that are degenerate. So, uh, oh, for sure. I've enjoyed this, and we will uh, be back next week for another edition of the Backdoor Cover. All right. Take care, man. You too, bud. Bye.